Second Timothy, the first chapter. So if you have Second Timothy chapter one, we'll read verse one. It says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus. We'll go on down in just a little bit. But notice by way of introduction, Paul says he's an apostle of Jesus Christ, and he says, by the will of God. We find it speaks of that same apostleship in Second Corinthians. You don't have to turn to these references, by the way, but I'll give you uh, several places. But just hold your place there in Second Timothy chapter 1. But in Second Corinthians chapter 1, he also says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. So, he speaks of the fact that he's an apostle, one that is sent, and he speaks of the fact that it's by the will of God. Romans chapter 1, he says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated into the gospel of God. So in all these epistles, uh, most all of them, he mentions of the fact that he is an apostle of Jesus Christ. That means he's an ambassador to preach the gospel. Paul, of course, means little. He was a little Jew. And he was called to be an apostle. And then he says, hold your place, Second Timothy chapter 1. He says, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. And it's the promise of not only life now, but eternal life. And if you read Titus chapter 1 and verse 2, it says, in hope of eternal life. Titus chapter 1 verse 2 says, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. But in due time manifested his word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior. So uh, Paul was commanded to preach, as well as uh, qualified to preach, and as well as called to preach this gospel of life to all that would hear. And it's the gospel of eternal life. Now notice in verse 2, it says, To Timothy, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father, in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now notice he calls him here my dearly beloved son. He uses that thought in several places. But in the book of 1 Timothy, he explains that he's his son in the faith. 1 Timothy chapter 1, 2, he says, unto Timothy, my own son in the faith. So in the first epistle, he clarifies the fact that when he calls Timothy his son, that he's his son in the faith. And he says, unto Timothy, my own son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ our Lord, the way he puts it. So we have in this introduction Paul and Timothy, and he's writing this epistle to Timothy. I wanted to get over in the fourth chapter and talk about his charge to Timothy to preach, but I thought, well, if I'm going to teach it, I just well start at the beginning. I hate to start anything in the middle and then end up going back to the first of it. So I was really going to teach the fourth chapter tonight and Something just told me, said, well, if you're going to teach in Second Timothy, why don't you just start at the first part? So I decided to do that in mid-afternoon. So in verse 3, he says, I thank God. Now hold your place, Second Timothy chapter 1. He says, I thank God whom I serve, whom I serve from my forefathers with a pure conscience, that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day. But notice how Paul addresses himself as, being a servant of God, and he says, I serve God from my forefathers with a pure conscience. You know, the apostle Paul, before he was called to be an apostle, was Saul of Tarsus. And even then, he thought he was doing God's service. He was sincerely serving God, even though he was wrong in the way he was doing uh, what he did and persecuting the church of God. But 
he uh, speaks of the fact that he served God uh, with a pure conscience. In the book of Acts, let's see if I can find the passage of Scripture in Acts chapter 22, in verse 3, listen to what he says here. He says, I am verily a man which am a Jew, born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, yet brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, and taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers, and was zealous toward God, as ye all are this day. Paul speaks of his pre-conversion experience as being a person who was even then zealous toward God. And then when he found out that he was, in verse 4 he says, And I persecuted this way unto death, binding and delivering into prison both men and women. And he goes on to tell, as he made his journey and met the Lord on the road to Damascus, he tells of it, and that happened in the ninth chapter of the book of Acts. You'll find there the record of his conversion. But here's a man that, even though he was sincerely wrong, was sincere, and he had a pure conscience in serving God before his conversion, and how much more after he was converted and knew the right way after persecuting Christians all this time, and then being, uh, I want to try to find a word, uh, miraculously and wonderfully converted to the faith, how he began then to serve God in the right way and preach the gospel to the Gentiles. So, in Second Timothy again, hold your place there. He says, I thank, in verse 3, I thank my God whom I serve from, from my forefathers with a pure conscience. And then he says now that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day. So he was trying to tell Timothy, and he wanted to tell Timothy in this letter, that he was in his prayers night and day because he really loved his son in the faith. And he wanted to give him instruction. The first epistle of Timothy, he gave, gave him instruction. But in this one, we find uh, some more things that he tells Timothy. And in ver verse 4, he says, Greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy. We, some have speculated as to what the tears of Timothy were, and I don't know what they were. Probably uh, many things. Maybe some of the things he's going through as a young young uh, preacher, as a young minister. And young ministers do have many tears because they're new at the work. I remember some of the most tearful times I had was when I first started preaching because uh, a young preacher's held up to criticism. He's held up to 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 uh, being uh, looked upon day by day with scrutiny, up to scrutiny. And I'm telling you, the older ones will especially look upon a young preacher and say, "Well, he doesn't know anything," and and uh, they'll pick at everything he says. And some of it's justified, and a lot of it is not. But on the other hand, uh, he has to grow and be able to, to learn uh, the Word of God. And uh, then when you learn and are ordained into the ministry, well, then it makes a little bit of difference because uh, you still have to be proven throughout the years to uh, the bulk of the church. So it's quite a battle to fight. And I can tell you from experience that uh, young preachers go through a lot. And remember Paul told Timothy, he says, Let no man despise thy youth. And he told him how to be faithful, and he says, let no man despise thee, and he also to Titus. So here, Paul was mindful of his of Timothy's tears. As I say, we don't know what the tears were about. But he desired to see him, verse 4, that I may be filled with joy. Look at the last part of it. It was going to be a joyous time when Paul would be able to see Timothy in person. And then he says in verse 5, when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois 
and thy mother Eunice. And I'm persuaded that in thee also. Paul loved to call to remembrance the unfeigned faith. The description of this faith, it was unfeigned. That means it was without hypocrisy, without dissimulation. The unfeigned faith, that's the, the way he described it. The quality of that faith was genuine and is real, and it was sincere. And its permanent character, notice it says, which dwelt in your First in your grandmother Lois and the mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded that it's in thee also. It, its permanent character was that this faith that was in his mother and grandmother dwelt in him, that it possessed him, that it was present in him. And the subject of this faith, this where it came from, was from Lois, his grandmother, and his mother Eunice. Some say Eunice in the various parts of the world, and it's pronounced Eunice or Eunice. But anyway, where did it come from? He had a godly grandmother, and he had a godly mother. And this faith came from teaching him the scriptures. When we think of the faith, turn over to the uh, third chapter, just turn a page, and verse 15, it says, And that from a child, listen, he's still speaking to Timothy, And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures. The word child here means an infant or a babe. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. So Paul is recognizing the fact that that Timothy had been taught from infancy, from childhood. Someone says, well, when is it time to teach uh, children about the things of God or the Bible? Just as soon as they are able to understand anything. Start teaching them the Bible. I remember my son, and I've told you this before, but he had a new pair of socks to put on, white socks, and they used to have a lot of writing on the bottom of their socks telling you who made them and this and that and the other, made in USA or what company made the, the socks. And he said, Mother, read me that scripture on the bottom of these socks. Everything that was written was to him was scripture because he had been taught the scripture. And he said, and the Bible says that, that from a child, Paul told Timothy, that from infancy thou hast known the Holy Scriptures. So this faith that that dwelt in Timothy, back in Second Timothy chapter 1 now, the faith that dwelt in him, where did it come from? It came from the teaching of his mother and grandmother from infancy. Because faith comes by what, anyway? Hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And so he had been taught the Word, and therefore the faith that they had themselves was imparted to him through the teaching of the Scriptures. By the way, I think this lesson would be good for our Sunday school teachers and for all of us to realize how important it is not only that the Scriptures be taught at home by fathers and mothers and by family, but in the case that that's neglected, who then becomes the next responsible party? You and I, at least, to teach those children in Sunday school and in church. And there are many people that have not, many young people even, that have not been taught this, the Word at home. And so therefore there falls upon you and I as Christians and as a church a greater burden and a greater responsibility. Remember Paul said to the Romans, he says, I'm debtor both to the Greeks to the barbarians, both to the wise and the unwise. And he says, so as much as in me is, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. Then he goes on to say, this all in the first chapter of the book of Romans, he says, goes on to say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So we have a great responsibility. And if we don't get anything else out of this lesson tonight, let us re- realize how important it is to teach so that people will be endued or endowed with faith of whatever age. Whatever age they may be, it's necessary. Because if it's neglected in infancy, certainly there's a time 
when uh, you have young people at a time later on when you have uh, young married couples and people starting family if they haven't been taught it's at least time to begin somewhere in their lifetime. And that's why all ages and all classes of people need to be taught in our church, in our Sunday school. When we talk about the quality of this faith, it was genuine, real, sincere. It dwelt in him and his grandmother and uh, Lois, his grandmother and his mother Eunice. This is how he received it, by being taught the word of God, by reading, by meditation, by prayer. Paul exhorts him all through here to read and to meditate and pray. And that's the way you and I often. Uh, need to receive the Word of God. It's by reading and by meditation in the Word of God. Remember the first psalm, what it says? It says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But it says, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And it says, And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, which bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither. And it says, And whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. So you want God's blessings in your life? Study the word. Meditate in the word. And when? Day and night. Go to bed with the scripture on your mind. Get up with a thanking God for the, a new day. Because it's always proper to give thanks. That's according to his word, isn't it? Every night as I go to sleep, I'm playing tapes on the, the scriptures, the word of God. I, I go to sleep listening to God's word and I uh, think it's a pretty good habit. I've enjoyed it. And uh, you learn a lot too that way. They used to have this, what they called playing the scriptures when and when you were already asleep that it had still has, has an effect upon your subconscious. I don't know about that, but when I'm, when I'm awake and can hear it, I know it has an effect. <laughs> I don't know how much effect it has after I go to sleep. Maybe some, maybe none. But they used to do that uh, years and years ago. They thought that that was a way to get it in your mind, is to work on your subconscious. But I know one thing, that it certainly works when you listen to God's Word and hear God's Word, whether it's in the church or whether you read it and hear it as you read. Because you, when you're reading the Scripture, you're hearing it too. And that's very important. And often, Often the deciding factor between success and failure is the matter of self-discipline and hearing the word of God. The result of his faith, what it produced, says faith that is able to make thee wise unto salvation. And if you'll notice the seventh verse here, it says, For God has not given to us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. Power and love and a sound mind is the result of faith. The Bible says that we're truly furnished unto all good works through the scriptures. Timothy's faith from a child created a solid character. You know, we have so many people now going to try to get uh, counseling from this one and that one and the other one. But if we had people that that we could create in them a solid character from, from youth on up uh, and from infancy on up, there would be far less need of these counselors that they go to. And sometimes they mess you up instead of straightening you out, too. And I've had that experience. I've seen that experience. I haven't had to go to one, thank God. I, I have a higher counselor. Uh, the scripture I quoted this morning from Isaiah chapter 9 says, Unto us a son is born, unto us a child is given, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. So when I have problems, I go to the Lord with it. Take it to the Lord in prayer is what our song says, doesn't it? And so if we'll take it to the Lord in prayer, we'll be able to deal with those. I'm not saying that all counseling is bad. I'm just saying that if, if we had solid characters 
as men and women and boys as boys and girls grow up and become men and women and then they had the right kind of direction in in their lives from God's word uh there would be far less need for all this mix up mind things that we have going on in the world today when you have a problem what do you do first thing you do is is uh pray you look into God's word you seek direction from the word of God do you know almost every circumstance or situation in life that you have to deal with, you can find the answer right here in God's Word? You'll say, well, you know, I had a certain thing happen, and and you go in the Bible, and you can find that someone else had basically the same experience. Principles of the same thing, at least. The same problem. Fear, danger, sickness, a disturbed mind about things. The Bible says, commit thy way unto the Lord, and thy thoughts. What? shall be established. So it has to do with a lot of things that if we surrender to God, commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. I think in that particular scripture, it's thy works. And there and there are others that tell, tell us to commit our way. The Bible says, trust in the Lord. Brother Rich sings it for Sunday school talk. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him. And what? And he shall direct thy path. So if you want... Uh, to be straightened out as to how to live and how to, to prosper in this life. Look at that first psalm that we just quoted three verses of it earlier. The first psalm. And you keep that as a text. And then the last three verses tell what's hap- tells what happens to the wicked person. And it says, The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. He says, For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Not only the ungodly, but their very way, the way of the ungodly shall perish. And that first psalm is an introduction to all that you find in the psalms, both of those that are blessed and those that are not blessed. So those first six verses of that first psalm teach you what's found in the whole of the 150 psalms. Or teach you, give you an introduction, a preface of all of it. All right, back to this, Second Timothy chapter 1, and he says in verse 6, Wherefore I put in I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. He speaks in another place of the uh, putting on the hands of the presbytery, as Paul was telling Timothy that he was to let this gift that that he had, and that means that when he was ordained, that means when he was blessed with the call, his call to the ministry. Now, in verse 7, he says, For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. About Timothy's faith, it creates a solid character. He's grounded and settled upon the abiding principles of God's unchanging word. He will not be carried about with every wind of doctrine that comes along. He would be a personal student of the word. Do you think in this one instance that he had received such faith that that was sufficient for all that he needed? You know, Paul was a student of the word till his death. He speaks of bringing his books and his parchments, and he says, come before winter. And when Paul was in prison, he wanted his books. He wanted the parchments. He wanted the scriptures. He wanted more brought to him in the way of material to study. So you don't learn it all in a short time. In fact, we ought to be students even now, every one of us. I was reminded when I got out of the seminary, yeah, you have a degree, you've made good, and you, maybe you made straight A's, and I did, thank God. But on the other hand, you're just beginning to, to, to learn to begin to study. The lady that painted our baptistry picture 
Mrs. Anderson, Amelia Anderson, she she does what Lee's doing now with the ladies, taught the ladies Bible class. But anyway, she said it would be well if some young preachers could get in their study or place where they study the scripture and someone would just close the door and lock it so that they couldn't get out till they begin to study and learn something. And you know, I, I have to lock myself in sometimes because the devil will try to disturb every time you start to read his word and every time you try to study the, the scriptures because, see, that's his business is to try to disrupt your faith just as sure as I sit down to study something, the phone will ring. And sometimes I'll wait just till the answering machine comes on and see who it is. You ever screen your calls? I don't know if I, I should admit that or not, but I have to once in a while because it rings often. Usually I get some of these guys that want to want to pay off my credit card bills. And he says, I've got all your numbers and I know just how much you owe and I can pay them off and save you money. I say, fella, you don't know anything because I don't owe any on mine. And so, but they tell, they act like they know more about your business than you know about your business, but they don't. And boy, they tell you what kind of thing they can do for you and all kinds of stuff to sell you. Anyway, we have that battle too to deal with, don't we? But study the scripture, study the word of God. And then he knew the divine, his faith caused him to know the divine power that's involved in God's Word, and he yielded himself to the supremacy of the Scripture, and it produced in him great usefulness, the results of faith, truly furnished unto all good works. And we need to realize how important it is. For God, verse 7, hath not given to us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. What has God given you? Does he want you to be fearful? Does he want you to be a, a fearful servant under bondage? No, but it says, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Verse 8, he says, be thou, be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker, now look at this, of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. The gospel brings afflictions. And Paul himself was enduring these afflictions. Later on, he told Timothy to endure afflictions. But he says, be a partaker of the afflictions of the gospel. So anywhere and everywhere you go, if you're true to God's word, you're going to have to suffer for it from time to time. Because there's some people that don't like it. And the devil especially doesn't like it. And he wants to stir up others so that they won't like it and that they will resist the truth. The Bible speaks of those who resist the truth and who are reprobate concerning the faith. I think some of the things that we've read that... uh, going in our society, show us that they're reprobate concerning the faith, concerning the word of God. All right? He says, be partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. God will give you the power to to suffer with patience when these things come. The Bible says endure afflictions. And sometimes we have to do that. And then they look at verse 9. He says, who has saved us, notice the last part, according to the power of God, who has saved us. God has saved us. How? And he's called us with an holy calling. Look, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Here's a personal soul salvation. And notice it's already done. It doesn't say who has begun to save us or who will save us, but who hath saved us. That means it's already done. You're, if you're saved, you're already saved. 
You say, well, I'm being saved. Well, that's true too. You're being saved from the power of sin. And one of these days you'll be saved from the presence of sin. But you're, you already have been saved from the penalty of sin. That's the sense that Paul is using here to Timothy. You've been saved from the penalty of sin by his, listen, sacrificial death. You're being saved from the power of sin by his resurrection life, by his intercession, by the presence of the Holy Spirit. And you shall be saved one of these days from the presence of sin. The penalty of sin, the power of sin, and the presence of sin. Salvation is in those three tenses. I've given you those before. Past, present, and future. So this says, who hath saved us. That's past tense. That's already done. Your soul is just as saved now as it will ever be. And it's just a, a permanent situation. Because Jesus paid the penalty for your soul's salvation. You're already saved. Someone says, well, when I come to die and get to heaven, I will be saved. Well, you'll be saved from out of this life. And you'll be saved from the presence of sin on, on this earth. And even the, the presence of sin within yourself. But that's future. But right now, you're just as secure as you will ever be in Jesus. Because the Bible says that you're saved from the wrath to come. He has delivered us from the wrath to come. First Thessalonians, I believe, is chapter 1, verse 10. It says, to wait for his Son from heaven, even Jesus, who has delivered us from the wrath to come. So we're waiting for Christ's coming. Paul tells us in the 8th chapter of the book of Romans that we're waiting to, to it the re, for the redemption of our body. So... Uh, we're going to have that future salvation, and that will be the completion of it. That's what we're waiting for. And I gave you a text, Second Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 10. Remember, for these three tenses of salvation, Second Corinthians 1 verse 10, it says, Who hath delivered us from so great a death, that's past. And it says, And doth deliver, that's present. And in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. Second Corinthians 1 verse 10 shows you all the three tenses of the deliverance that we have. He has delivered us from so great a death. He doth deliver, in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. Past, present, and future. So, back to 2 Timothy chapter 1. Let's look at verse 9. Who has saved us, now look, and called us with an holy calling. He's called us to serve him. You know, people are saved to serve. They're not pa- You're not saved to do nothing. You're saved to do something. Someone says, well, I can't preach. Well, God doesn't expect everyone to be a preacher. You say, I can't teach. I don't teach the Word of God. He doesn't expect everyone to be a teacher. But He does expect us to pray. He expects us to be a witness. He expects us to do what it, wherein He has called us. Whatever talents He's given you in life, you're to use those. And if you will use those, then God will bless it. You say, well, it doesn't amount to much. God thinks it amounts to much if he's called you to, to fill that place. He's given a high premium upon what you do. You would say, well, I don't do much in God's service. Say, I come to church and this and that and the other. Whatever you do, did you know that's a testimony? And back in the scripture where this woman came and anointed the feet and the head of Jesus and the disciples, one or two of them began to complain about it, said all this money could have been... All this ointment could have been sold and the money could be taken and given to the poor. Not that he cared for the poor, but anyway, and that's the story goes. But anyway, he goes on to say, Jesus rebuked him, looked around and says, let her alone. Now listen carefully to this statement. He says, she has done what she could. She's come to anoint my body for the burial. This before it ever happened, before he ever was crucified. But he says, she has done what she could. If every person would do what they can do. 
That's all that's necessary. If you'll do what God has given you the ability to do, well then the church will prosper and grow. You might see someone down at Walmart or one of the stores. Walmart's about the only store in Redosa, I guess. But you might, you might see someone uh, out in public if you happen to see it in some restaurant. And be careful because a lot of the foods are not fit to eat. But anyway, am I preaching or meddling? But anyway, uh, wherever you see people, you can, if you see a friend or someone, you could invite them to church. Say, you know, I went down there the, the other day and Brother Joyce brought a message and I kind of, I kind of liked it. Or tell them what you heard or witness to someone. Or you just invite them just because you know that they ought to be in the house of God. Not especially for any particular thing that you've heard from me. But anyway, you know that they need the, the Word of God preached. You know they need, there may be some that need to be saved. There may be some without a church home. You know we have so many people that are Christians that are not in church anywhere. They just don't go. Well, how are they going to get there? They're going to get there when you give them an invitation. And by the way, if you invite them, you make sure you're there to see them when they come. Because it's a very embarrassing thing. I had one lady one time, she came, she said, so-and-so invited me to church. but said, I don't see her. I thought, well, you know, that was good she invited you, but it's not good that she's not here to, to welcome you. So if you invite someone, you try to be here to make sure that they, they get the welcome from you personally, as well as all the other members. And I hope that our members are the kind, and I believe they are, that welcome people when they come. Do you know, the church is not just the preacher going out and meeting people at the door and saying, I'm glad you're here, but it's the, all the people of the church and all the, the church family that in, that appreciates the presence of others that come. And I appreciate you showing that interest in other folks when they do come to be with us. All right, notice what it says in verse 9, Who has saved us and called us with an holy calling. Now notice that this calling is not according to our works. Our works were not of value, but according to his own purpose. He had a purpose for us and grace. Now look at that. And it says, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. God had a purpose in those that he would save and call and give them a mission, a purpose to to exist and a purpose to serve. And you know, if you'll take the talents that you have and use them for God, he will bless them. I've seen a priest appreciate Sandra singing for us, the specials and playing the piano. I've, I've had people in the church before, and they've come, they play the piano, they could sing. And lo and behold, I guarantee you right now, they could not sing the special, and they were beautiful songs they could sing. Because if you don't use the talent God has given you, if you don't use it, what? You lose it. You will lose it. And that applies to almost everything of life. So you make sure that you use the talents God has given you. And don't don't be one that he'll have to put you on the shelf, like Paul speaks of it. He says, lest by any means when I preach to others... I myself would be a castaway, or I, I would be like a broken vessel of pottery that would be thrown out behind the shed somewhere because it's not fit for use anymore, or put upon a shelf and not be of any value in the service of God. And we don't want to be valueless or not being able to be used in God's service. Someone says, Brother Joyce, how long are you going to preach? As long as I can. That's how long I'm going to preach. Someone says, aren't you going to retire? Well, if I, my health comes to the place that it's absolutely necessary. But as long as God restores me from time to time, and he has, I'm thankful that uh, 
he's brought me through a lot of things, and I believe that uh, it's getting better, and so God keeps my old ticker ticking and everything working right. Well, I'll try to be here. And if I'm not, if I have to, I turned my phone on this morning so that if uh, uh, my wife's nose was bleeding and she's having a problem, and I turned it on and had it in my pocket, and I thought, well, if something happens that she calls and I have to rush down there, I'll just say, Rich, here, bye. <laughs> and just, whatever he does, it's up to him then. He better have something on the cuff ready to go because of... That's the way it might happen sometime. I don't know. But if it does, so be it. We've always got someone to fill in. If Rich is not available, he'll call Brother Wendell or one of the other brethren, Brother Nick or somebody else to fill in and uh, get Tom to do the singing and all that stuff. <laughs> I hope I'm not embarrassing everyone. But anyway, we'll fill in. We'll make it because we'll use what God has given us here and and we'll make it some way. But he says, who has saved us and called us, look at this, with a holy calling. By the way, this calling is a holy calling. Don't ever underestimate the work that God has called you to do. It's a holy calling. But it's not according to our works, because you're not saved according to your works. It says, for by grace are you saved, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is a gift of God, not of works, so your salvation is not of works, lest any man should boast. And here it says, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose. That means he has a purpose. And he says, and grace. It's by grace. Which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Now I want you to notice verse 10, and we won't have time to go any further, but it says, but it's now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Look at this who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light, now look, through the gospel. The gospel has brought life and immortality to light. How is it so? You know, life here refers to the soul. And immortality, by the way, refers to the body. You've heard people say the immortal soul, but immortality refers to the body, by the way. So he's brought life, eternal life, life and immortality to light, and how is it brought to light? It's brought to light through the gospel. If you study it out, you'll find that these things are true, that life does refer to the soul, and immortality refers to the body. So he's brought those to light through the preaching of the gospel. What is it we preach? We preach that uh, Jesus said, I am come that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. And he says, I give unto my sheep eternal life, and they shall never perish. But then there's a promise in the 8th of Romans where that we're waiting for the redemption of the body, the complete salvation that we've been talking about. We won't have uh, time to go much further, but I want you to look at verse 11. It says, Whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. What was Paul? He said he was appointed to do this, preaching of the gospel. And he says, and I'm an apostle. He didn't say, I am the only apostle or the head of the apostles, but I am an apostle along with the others and a teacher, a preacher and a teacher of the Gentiles. You know, the Bible says in Ephesians, turn back to the book of Ephesians chapter 4, I believe it is, if I can find it. And I want you to notice what it says here. Ephesians chapter 4, in verse 11 and 12, it says, And he gave some apostles, Ephesians 4.11, he gave some apostles and some prophets. Those are New Testament apostles and New Testament prophets. There were Old Testament prophets as well. 
And then he says, and some evangelists, and notice the last statement, and some pastors and teachers. And he joins those two together. A pastor's to be a teacher, and he's to be able to teach. And he says, it's for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the 